It is the best-selling book in history. No volume ever written has been more loved and quoted. And its words, sometimes simple and sometimes mysterious, should always be studied carefully. It is the Bible, the Word of God. Welcome to Bible Answers Live, providing accurate and practical answers to all your Bible questions. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Jean Ross. Hello, friends. How about an amazing fact? In 1986, the Italian runner, Gianni Poli, won the New York Marathon in 2 hours and 11 minutes. In 2003, Mark Yatik of Kenya triumphed at the Los Angeles Marathon in a time of 2 hours and 10 minutes. But doubtless, the most admired runner of those two marathons actually finished last and in the slowest time ever recorded. In 1986, Bob Wieland finished the New York Marathon in about 98 hours. He crossed the finish line of the Los Angeles Marathon in a little more than 173 hours. Now, before you write of Bob Whelan's marathons as a complete failure, you need to know that he competed in both events using only his arms and torso. For you see, Bob has no legs. In 1969, while trying to rescue a fallen buddy in Vietnam, he stepped onto a landmine and suffered massive leg injuries. While in hospital, he sent this short note to his parents. He wrote, Dear Mom and Dad, I'm in the hospital. Everything is going to be okay. The people here are taking good care of me. Love, Bob. And then he added, P.S. I think I lost my legs. And so he did. After what was left of his legs were amputated, instead of giving up, he set out on a mission to walk across America on his hands. It took him three years, eight months, and six days to go from coast to coast using only his arms and torso. But that was only the beginning. Twice he made a 6,200 mile round trip bike ride across America. He's the only double amputee ever to com complete the Ironman Triathlon of Kona, Hawaii without a wheelchair. He swam 2.4 miles and then biked 112 miles and finished up with a 26.2 mile marathon using only his arms. Bob Wieland is also the recipient of four world records, including a 570-pound bench press award. It is no wonder that he was nicknamed Mr. Inspiration. The NFL Players Association awarded him the title The Most Courageous Man in America, and People's Magazine dubbed him one of the six most amazing Amer Americans. After completing the Los Angeles Marathon at the age of 57, Bob told the Associated Press, it was done by the grace of God. He then summed up his amazing endurance by saying, I do it one step at a time. Friends, did you know that the Bible says that Christians in the last days will also need to have amazing endurance? Stay tuned for more as Amazing Facts brings you this edition of Bible Answers Live. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, accurate and practical answers to your Bible questions. 
Hello friends, welcome back. This is Bible Answers Live. Pastor Doug Batchelor is out this evening. My name is Jean Ross and filling in is Pastor Carlos Munez and he is going to be helping answer Bible questions as well as work the phone. Welcome Carlos. Maranatha Pastor, how are you doing? Hey, we're glad you're here. Amen. It's always fun to be here. Before we get to our program, why don't you start with a word of prayer? Sure. Father, thank you again for uh, this opportunity to come together and spend time in your word. Uh, answering Bible questions. We know that uh, wisdom comes from you. And so we just ask that your spirit guide us to lead us so that we can give the answers that people are searching for uh, based on your word. And so thank you, Father, for this opportunity. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Carlos, we opened the program talking about Bob Wheeland. I hadn't heard about this gentleman before, but um, you can actually research him. You can, you can Google him and they've got some pictures. And uh, without a doubt, you can see he's very strong in his arms and his chest, his upper body. But, you know, he could have given up after such a, a terrible tragedy of losing his legs and just think, well, you know, I'm just going to take it easy. But no, he had incredible endurance, persistence. He wanted to make a difference. He wanted to inspire other people that despite difficulties or physical challenges, they can overcome if they persist. And so he became known as Misty Encouragement and Inspiration, and he was well known for his endurance. You know, I read this fact. I was thinking about a verse in the Bible. It's actually the words of Jesus, and it's talking about our time. You read in Matthew chapter 24, verse 11, Jesus said, And many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But here's the point. He that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. And Jesus says at the end, you're going to need endurance. Christians are going to have to endurance. Now, uh, Carlos, we're not talking about physical endurance, although I'm, I'm sure it's good to have physical endurance. But what Jesus is talking about here more than anything else is spiritual endurance. Amen. Uh, spiritual endurance to seek and know the truth, because there's going to be many false prophets that will arise in the last days. Their goal is to deceive. And then you read in Revelation chapter 14, verse 12, about a group of people. It says, here is the patience or the endurance of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and they have the faith of Jesus. They also have the testimony of Jesus you read in Revelation 12, 17. So God's people in the last days, not only known for being obedient in keeping his commandments, but they also have the faith of Jesus, not just faith in Jesus, but actually verse 12, Revelation 14, 12 says the faith of Jesus. They need to have endurance. They need to have perseverance. Well, how can we have that kind of faith, that endurance that the Bible speaks of? You know, we do have a book that we'll be happy to send out to anyone who calls and asks. It's entitled, assurance, justification made simple. How do we nurture that faith? The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And one of the great assurances that we have in scripture is that God loves us, God forgives us, and that God gives us grace and strength. And as we trust in him, our faith can grow. And that is going to be a free offer. We're going to be happy to send that to anyone who calls and asks, anyone in North America. And the number to call if you'd like to receive that book written by Pastor Doug called Assurance, Justification Made Simple. The number is 800-835-6747. And again, just ask for the book. It's called Assurance, Justification Made Simple. And if you have a Bible question, our phone lines are open. This is a good chance if you have your question to get on the air this evening. The number is 800-463-7297. That is our toll-free uh, phone line here to the studio. We'd also like to greet our friends who are joining us not only on the radio, but also on Facebook. We know there are many people, not only in North America, Carlos, but Central America and around the world that tune in because we get people calling us from Australia and even Africa. Mm -hmm. So we'd like to greet our friends who are joining us online again. Our phone lines are open. This is a good time for you to 
pick up your phone and give us a call. Well, Pastor Carlos, who is our first caller for this evening? We have Chris from Florida. Chris, good af- good evening. You're on the air. Yes, thank you, Pastors. Yes, welcome, Chris. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I have a very basic, maybe childish uh, sounding uh, question, but how do you know? How do I know that I am a chosen one? before foundation of the word, like like uh, Paul says in one of his letters. Okay, how do we know if we're a chosen one? Yeah. Well, the Bible makes it clear that those who are chosen are the ones who choose Christ. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promises. It's not an arbitrary choice that God makes as to who's going to be saved and who's going to be lost. But God desires everyone to be saved. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus said in that famous verse, John 3:16, uh, whoever believes in me shall not perish but have everlasting life. So the gospel invitation is for everyone. It is to everyone. Revelation chapter 14, you read about the everlasting gospel going to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Those who respond to the gospel, those who receive Jesus as their personal Savior, they are the ones who are chosen. They are chosen for eternal life. So we make a decision, God responds to that decision, and he chooses us. That doesn't mean that we can ever change our mind. God does not force anyone to be saved. But if we choose him, he chooses us. And, you know, we have that assurance, that hope. Now, we are chosen from the foundation of the world, meaning that through Christ, those who respond to the gospel, a provision has been made so that they can be saved. A sacrifice has been provided, and that sacrifice is Jesus. Does that help, Chris? Yes, 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 sir. But there is another. There are other things that we have to comply with, like obedience. Correct. Well, it begins with faith. You know, the first thing we do is we come to Jesus just the way that we are. We confess our sins. We ask Him to forgive us. We receive Him as our personal Savior. That's where it begins. If we ask and believe, we have confidence to know that God hears. He answers. He will cleanse us from sin. But then we need to. Every day, commit ourselves to him. The Apostle Paul says, I die daily, meaning that we need to surrender self every day to Christ. And just as surely as we do that, trusting in him, he will work a work within us, Pastor Carlos, that we cannot do for ourselves. Amen. And that's the power of the gospel, right? Amen. And that's good news. So uh, our, our work is to choose him, to surrender to him and ask him to do a work that only he can do. You know, Chris, we have a book. It's called Three Steps to Heaven. And it talks about uh, what can we do in order to enter into the saving relationship with Christ. And, of course, we'll be happy to send this to you or anyone that calls and asks. It's such an important question. What do I have to do to be saved? You know, Carlos, that was a question that was asked even back in Bible times. Mm -hmm. They asked the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do to be saved? And the answer was repent and be baptized. We'll be happy to send this book to anyone who calls and asks. It's called Three Steps to Heaven. And the number to call for that is 800-835-6747, and we'll send it to you. If you're outside of North America, you can read the book by simply going to the Amazing Facts website, just amazingfacts.org. And if you have a Bible question, one more time, the number here is 800-463-7297 with your Bible question. All right. Next question. We have Lynette from Angel Camp, California. Good evening, Lynette. You are on the air. Good evening. How are you? We are blessed. Doing well. Thank you. Good. Good. Okay. Um, my question concerns um, in the account of First Samuel um, chapter 28, verses 3 through 20, is the account of when uh, Samuel had died, 
Saul was about to confront the Philistines, and he was afraid. So he consulted a medium who summoned a, a spirit, and it appeared in the form of Samuel, who gave kind of a prediction that Samuel would not survive this battle, which ended up to be true. Now, we know it wasn't Samuel. Um, what? Who? I mean, <laughs> it's confusing to me a little bit. Mm-hmm. So you're wondering, how did this, this spirit that was not Samuel, so the only other would be an evil spirit, right. how did an evil spirit know that Saul was going to be killed in battle the next day? Okay. Uh, Well, first of all, the devil knew and these evil spirits knew that at this point, Saul had hardened his heart. He had rejected God. So the protection that God had typically given to those who trust in him had been withdrawn or removed. And if you're not protected by God, then you are vulnerable to the devil and the devil's attacks. So I think the devil knew very well that Saul had sort of passed the point of no return. He had rebelled against God. He had hardened his heart. The Spirit of God, the protection of God had been withdrawn from Saul. And in essence, he was really at the the whim of these evil spirits, at the whim of the devil. And the devil knew what he was going to do to Saul. So, um, yeah, that's why if Saul had remained faithful to God, the devil couldn't have done anything to Saul. God would have protected him. Yeah, so you think that the devil actually caused the death of Saul. He didn't make the prediction that it was going to happen in battle. He actually caused the death. He had something to do with it, without a doubt, yes. Okay. That makes a little more sense. Yep, and that's exactly what happened to him. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks for your call. All right. Next, we have Noah from Rock Falls, Illinois. Noah, good evening. You are on the air. Good evening, uh, Pastor Ross, and good evening, Carlos. Good evening. And your question tonight? My question is, I'm trying to witness to one of my neighbors, and they asked me to go to a bar with them. And I didn't feel comfortable. Would it be okay for a Christian to go to a bar to witness to somebody? Okay. Um, you know, first of all, I think the best witness that a Christian can be is is not to be in a bar. I mean, you might even want to say to the person, you know, I'd like to visit with you and share with you these things. But, you know, I'm not comfortable going to a bar because I don't think that's a best witness that I could be. Now, there are situations perhaps where somebody needs to go into a, a bar and maybe help bring somebody out who is in need. But to set up a Bible study in a bar probably is not the right place. You, you could think of a lot better places to set up a Bible study where you can visit with someone. Um, the environment there in a bar, the music, the noise, smoking, uh, the smoking, the alcohol. It just seems that whatever good you're trying to do in witnessing, uh, you have so many things opposed to that. There are so many distractions that it would probably be better to find a different place where you place where you can where you can sit down and, and visit with this person. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Noah. And they're not in a bar all day long, so. Yeah, you know, you can you can find a different place. Meet with them somewhere else. You're listening to Bible Answers Live. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. Call us at 1-800-GOD-SAYS. All right, who else do we have? All right, next we have Rose from Bullhead City, Arizona. Good evening, Rose. You're on the air. Hi. Say, I have a question about planting a seed in an obstinate non-believer 
who actually believes in evolution and science. And um, I'm having trouble just getting him to listen. So I just want to know where, what seed can I plant that maybe the next person might continue on with? Sure. You know, I think one of the first things we can do is um, by our example, by our faith, by our life, we can demonstrate that we do have confidence. We can trust the Lord. We know how the story ends. There's a lot of people in the world today who are concerned, who are worried. The Bible says in the last days, people's hearts will be failing them because of fear, seeing the things that are happening and coming upon the world. But the believer can have faith and confidence and trust in God. So if if we trust in the Lord and there is a peace and a joy that we have in our hearts, that'll be a telling influence on others. Your second part of the question is, well, if this person uh, you know, is a believer in, let's say, for example, evolution, he doesn't believe in God, um, you can ask certain questions to kind of get him to think a little bit. And I know Pastor Carlos is here, and, and uh, probably the catalyst, uh, Carlos, in your search for truth, had to do somewhat with uh, studying science, and you began to wonder, raise more questions than, than answers. Yeah, I was, I was blown away with the, the detail, with the complexity, with the, uh, how the holistic aspect of how everything is connected, and there's no, nothing is, is random, everything has a purpose, and that's completely opposite to what evolution teaches. They teach that there is no, there's no order, there's no reason behind it, and so, and the reason is because they're trying to deny God, because it would be easier to say that there is a purpose behind it, but then you, there's somebody behind the purpose. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's really prayer is the key with how to deal with somebody that believes in evolution, because there might be other reasons why they believe in evolution besides mm-hmm. the, the, the core science, and so. So one of the yeah. things, as you say, Pastor Carlos, you might want to ask some key questions to kind of get them thinking, something related to... You know, isn't it amazing how everything is interdependent? How could something have evolved when, in order for it to have life, all of these different pieces have to be in place? Even yesterday, I was thinking, how is it that every species on the earth has a male and female, right? Is that just coincidence that every single species came up with the same equation? I mean, it doesn't make sense, right? You're right, absolutely. It, it shows that there's a, there, there is logic behind it. Right. There's, there's a design. So, mm-hmm. you know, those are some of the things you can bring up, Rose, and, and try and uh, plant some seeds. But uh, probably the greatest is through your witness, through, through your faith, through the peace that God puts in your heart, and then planting those little seeds and praying for the person, praying that the Lord would, would lead and guide in their life. So um, keep up the good work, and we'll be praying for you. And we have a, we have a free book on a library too on that i was just looking it up it's amazing wonders of creation oh we do that's right i'm looking at it right here rose we have a book it's called we haven't really offered this very often but we'll be happy to send it to you it's called amazing wonders of creation it talks about some of these things in nature that prove intelligent design and uh, if you'd like to receive that the number to call is 800-835-6747 and again you can just ask for the book it's called amazing wonders of creation you might want to read that give it to your friend and say take a look at this <laughs> see what you think and maybe that'll get uh, the person thinking amen thanks for your call who do we have next next we have uh, diane she's calling from british columbia canada good evening diane you're on the air hey good evening gentlemen how are you doing well Blessed. thank you Good, good. So my question is regarding Daniel 9, when it's talking about the 70 weeks. In verse 25, um, it talks about, towards the end of 25, it talks about how it'll be built again and the walls thereof, so the street and the walls. 
And then in 26, it says that the end will come with a flood. And I'm just wondering what those things are talking about. Okay, very good. Good question. Uh, the question that's been asked in Daniel, actually near the end of chapter 8, and then it's followed through here in Daniel, the two issues that's been addressed is what's going to happen to Jerusalem. Remember, Daniel at the time was a captive in Babylon when he received the vision. Uh, so the question was, what's going to happen to Jerusalem? The city at the time was still in ruins. The temple uh, was destroyed. But according to the prophecies, they knew that they would go back and they'd rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. But what would be the ultimate result for Jerusalem? The second part has to do with the Messiah. When will the Messiah come? What will his work be? So in verse 25, the angel is now giving some very important keys to help understand when the Messiah would come and what would ultimately happen to Jerusalem, the literal city of Jerusalem. So in verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, now the Jews were captives in Babylon, the decree was given in 457 B.C., 457 B.C. The decree was given, there were actually three decrees, the third one by Artaxerxes allowed the Jews to go back and rebuild not only the temple but also the city and rebuild the walls. So that's the starting point of the time prophecy, 457 B.C. And it would say, um, from that going forth to restore and rebuild Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince, that's the anointing of the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks, so a total of 69 weeks. One prophetic day is equal to one literal year. So if you do the math, it works out to 27 A.D. when the Messiah would be anointed. That was at the baptism of Jesus when he was anointed with the Holy Spirit when he started his public ministry. And then it goes on to talk about the city. It says the street will be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. That's exactly what happened when the Jews went back and they started to rebuild Jerusalem and the walls. They had opposition from the Samaritans and from others that hindered the work, but finally the work was done. Then verse 26 goes back to talk about the Messiah and it says after 62 weeks, so it's after 27 AD, sometime after 27 AD, Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. It's talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. Then it goes on to say, the last part of verse 26, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, the end shall be with the flood. The people of the prince there is uh, the Romans that came and destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. And that prophecy met a amazing fulfillment where it says, the city and the sanctuary shall be destroyed with a flood. Now, when it's talking about a flood, it's talking about a flood of people, but it's also talking about a massive slaughter of life. The historian Josephus describes uh, the overthrow of Jerusalem, and it says the blood flowed down the temple stairs like water. So it was a terrible destruction of life. In the last part of verse 26, it says, till the end, war and desolations is determined. So that would ultimately happened to Jerusalem and it met its fulfillment in 70 AD. So those are uh, the two main focuses of this vision. The interpretation is the Messiah, the Prince, and what happens to Jerusalem. All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks for your call, Diane. Next we have Robert from College Place, Washington. Good evening, Robert. You're on the air. Evening, Carlos. Evening, Pastor Ross. Hello. Hi there. Hello. Um, I heard, uh, I was just reading... Uh, on Amazing Facts that I guess you're on Up TV right, uh, now, which is really, really cool. Yeah, we're always looking for new uh, outlets to um, utilize for our program. So, yes, we're always expanding that. Yeah, I, I sent in a donation today to for, to help with that. 
We appreciate that. That's what helps us uh, keep these programs on the air. Thank you. And your your question tonight, Robert. It's uh, Job 27, verse 3. Uh, I, I know about the spirit being being the breath, but the, that verse kind of kind of uh, uh, puzzles me, or whatever, whatever you want to call it, uh, where it talks about the spirit of God being in my nostrils. Um, it just just seems or sounds kind of weird. I mean, yeah, yeah. Does the Holy Spirit live in our nose? No, no. That's not what it's saying. Remember, Job is writing in prophetic prose and we have many examples of this a number of the psalms are also written in these types of prose you've got um, ecclesiastes which is also written in prose and really it's referring to god being the source of life god is the one that gives us our breath now when it's talking about the breath here it's not just talking about us breathing in and out although we know that's important for life but there is that spark of life that essence of life that only comes from god god is the one that gives life. The devil cannot create life. It comes from God. And that is described here as this breath or the spirit. The word is used interchangeably here in the Old Testament. Um, so the breath that we breathe in and out is a symbol of that spark of life, that essence of life that God gives. So again, it's just written in poetic language that you find here in Job 27 verse 3. If uh, a person dies then and the Spirit of God is taken, well, I mean, it goes back to God, the Spirit of the breath goes back to God, and since God is eternal, that doesn't mean that, that the Spirit, that our breath is eternal, though, right? Well, when it's talking about the Spirit of God or the Spirit of life that, that God has, that He gives to all living things, it's not our intelligent being. It doesn't have understanding. It doesn't have character, doesn't have personality. It's just that spark of life. And not only do we have life, but all living things share that life. You've got animals that have life and plants that have life. And all of the life that we see in the world around us comes from God. God is the one that provides or brings that life. So when a person dies, that breath of life or that spirit of life returns to God. But it doesn't mean that our conscious being or our soul goes up to heaven or returns to God. Uh, it's just talking about that essence of life, that, that power, that spark of, of life. Okay. Yeah. I was going to read Genesis chapter 7, verse 22. It says, All in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on the dry, dry land died. It's talking about all created beings in that context of the flood. So it's not only people there. It's talking about animals as well. Anything that receives its life from God and it's talking about the judgment that comes at the time of the flood. And of course, we know that uh, the flood is a type of a judgment that comes at the end of time. And again, God is going to purify the earth, not with water, but the Bible tells us it's going to be with fire at the very end. But then he creates a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Of course, that is the great hope of the Christian, and that is what we are looking at. You know, Pastor Carlos, I'm looking at the clock. We're coming up on our half-hour break, so the program's not over by any means. We're just going to get a drink of water and, and catch our breath here. Uh, if you have a Bible question, the phone lines are open, 800-463-7297. That'll bring you here to the studio. And in just a few moments, we'll be back to take more Bible Answers Live. We'll speak with you in just a moment. Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly. Would you like to know God's plan for our troubled world and solutions for your life's challenges? 
Beautifully redesigned and updated, Amazing Facts 27 Bible Study Guides provide straightforward Bible-based answers that are enlightening, encouraging, and easy to understand, giving you real relevant Bible answers to questions like, how can I have healthier relationships? When will Jesus come? And much more. Order yours today by visiting afbookstore.com or by calling 800-538-7275. Can't get enough Amazing Facts Bible Study? You don't have to wait until next week to enjoy more truth-filled programming. Visit the Amazing Facts Media Library at aftv.org. At aftv.org, you can enjoy video and audio presentations as well as printed material all free of charge, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, right from your computer or mobile device. Visit aftv.org. The last words of Jesus should be the first priority for believers. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. And that's why we're so excited to let you know now that the Amazing Facts AFCO program is going to be available around the world through our online course. You'll be able to study this fantastic material on your computer, on your iPad, on your phone, on the go. The course is gonna be based upon our best-selling Amazing Disciples book. This 175-page book has 13 presentations, but in the different segments, you're gonna get the whole presentation from the actual teachers. You'll have weekly downloads jam-packed with witnessing resources. You can follow the 13-week structure or learn at your own pace. There's interactive lessons included with video presentations. And upon your course completion, you'll receive a certificate. Are you ready to become the sole winner God has called you to be? Enroll now. Visit AFCO.org today. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, where every question answered provides a clearer picture of God and His plan to save you. So what are you waiting for? Get practical answers about the good book for a better life today. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live. Hello, friends. Welcome back. This is Bible Answers Live. My name is John Ross, and joining me is Pastor Carlos Munoz. Pastor Doug is out this evening, but as you can tell, this is an interactive international Bible study, and we love to hear from you. If you have a Bible-related question, the number is 800-463-7297. And if you don't get through right away, we just encourage you to hold on, have some endurance, as we spoke about at the beginning of the program. Hold on. We will get to as many calls as possible. And uh, Pastor Carlos, with that, let's get to our next caller. Yes, we have Abraham from California. Good evening, Abraham. You are on the air. Um, my question is, when God brings down his kingdom to the mountain of olives, uh, how much days would it be when Satan uh, prepares his people, like days, months, or weeks, or hours? All right. Well, good question, Abraham. Uh, let me ask, uh, how old are you? At eight years old. Eight years old. Boy, that's a good, <laughs> deep question for an eight-year-old. Amen. 
Glad you called and asked, Abraham. All right, just to bring our friends up to, to speed with what you're talking about, in Revelation chapter 20, we have a description of something called the thousand years, sometimes known as the millennium. At the beginning of the millennium, we have the second coming of Christ, and the dead in Christ are raised, and they're caught up to meet Jesus in the air. Uh, the wicked are destroyed with the brightness of Christ's coming. During the thousand years, the redeemed are in heaven. The devil is bound on the earth for the thousand years. And I'll read a verse. It's uh, Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. It says, Then I saw an angel come down from heaven, having a key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent of all, called the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. But verse 3 says, Cast him into this bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. Now the reason the devil can't deceive anyone is because the righteous are safe in heaven. The wicked have been destroyed with the brightness of Christ's coming. So the devil is here on this earth. It's just him and his angels. But then the last part of verse 3, and this gets to your question, Abraham, it says, But after these things he must be released for a little while. Now, we don't know how long that little while is. The Bible just says a little while. So at the end of the thousand years, when the dead are resurrected, that is the wicked dead are resurrected for what the Bible calls the great white throne judgment, um, Satan is released from his prison, meaning he can go and deceive those nations. And you look in verse uh, 6 of Revelation chapter 20, it says, Holy, um, blessed and holy is he that has part in this first resurrection, over such the second death has no power. But then verse 7 says, Now when the thousand years were ended, Satan will released, be released from his prison. He will go out and deceive the nations, which are on the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. So at the end of the thousand years, the dead are resurrected. The devil's going to go out and deceive them. How long will that be? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us whether it's a month or a year or a week. It just calls it a little season. So um, whatever that might be, we don't know. It could be weeks, could be months. I don't think it's going to drag on for years because I think uh, at that point, it's a matter of bringing this rebellion finally to an end. The redeemed are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth that is soon to be created after the final judgment and the destruction of the wicked. Thank you for your call, Abraham. You know, we do have a study guide. It's called A Thousand Years of Peace. And we'll be happy to send this to anyone who wants to learn more about this thousand-year millennium that we read about in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, just call and ask for it. The number is 800-835-6747. And you can ask for the study guide. It's called A Thousand Years of Peace. And we'll mail that to anyone in North America. If you're outside of North America, just go to the Amazing Facts website. You can type in there in the free library, A Thousand Years of Peace, and you'll be able to read the study guide right there. Who do we have next? Next we have Taylor from Oregon. Taylor, you're on the air. Hi. Uh, my question is, um, does God show himself in dreams? Well, um, the answer to that is yes, he can. He can show himself in dreams. And we have many examples in the Bible of people that had a dream that, had, that came from God. Even pagans had dreams that came from God. I think of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. He had a dream. He had more than one, actually two significant dreams that we have recorded in the book of Daniel that came from God. So God can speak to a person in a dream. However, having said that, we need to be careful because not every dream, even though it might be vivid, it might seem very powerful, it might even seem to indicate something that we should do. Not every dream necessarily comes from God, as I think we realize. Uh, often dreams is just the multitude of activities and things happening during the day. The brain sometimes will sort of reboot itself and organize and categorize these different 
ideas and memories. So we got to test even dreams by the word of God. If Amen. we have a dream and uh, it seems that an angel is telling us to do something, but what that angel is telling us to do contradicts the word of God, then we know that dream is not from God because God won't contradict his word. But yes, there are times where God might speak to a person through a dream to bring encouragement and hope, to encourage them to be faithful, to obey. So yes, God can speak through dreams. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks for your call. All right. Praise the Lord. Next we have Carl, Carline, Carli, Carly Ann from Sacramento. Good evening, Carly Ann. Hello. Yes. Welcome. Yes, this is Carly Ann. Hi. How are you? Hi. Thanks for calling. Thank you so much. Um, my question was, what happens if you're overcome by the Holy Spirit and start speaking in tongues while praying, but don't know what you're saying? I remember reading in scripture something about, you know, it's not good to speak in tongues if there's like not an interpreter or you're not able to interpret it yourself. Yes. Um, now, first of all, let's just talk about what, what a tongue means in the Bible. Um, a tongue simply means a language. So when the Bible speaks of somebody speaking or praying in an unknown tongue, that language is not unknown to them, but it's unknown to the other people to whom they are preaching or teaching or worshiping with. So, for example, uh, I'll read 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Here is probably the verse you're referring to. It says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray in the spirit. I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing in the spirit. I will also sing with the understanding. So here Paul is talking about a church service. And he's saying, if I get up and I speak a language or I pray in a language that nobody present understands, um, I'm unfruitful, meaning my prayer is meaningless to the people who are hearing it. It doesn't mean Paul doesn't understand what he's saying. Paul spoke many languages. The church at Corinth was sort of at a crossroads. People would travel through Corinth. Some of them would speak Greek. Others would speak Hebrew. Others would speak other languages in the area. And you'd find all of these people coming to the church and they would be there in their own language. Sometimes they'd want to speak in their language. And Paul is saying, if you get up and pray in a language that nobody else understands, you're not really benefiting them. You might be blessed, but you're not helping them because they can't understand you. That's why he says it's better to have somebody interpret mm -hmm. what you are saying. That's why the rest of the verse, in verse 15, he says, what then do we conclude? I will pray in the Spirit. I will also pray with the understanding. Meaning, when I pray, I'll make sure that the people that are there can understand that. I might need a translator, but I want to make sure they can understand. So, for instance, I was praying over a, a girl um, before I did CPR on her, and I started speaking in tongues, but I, I didn't understand what I was saying. I was just overcome by the Holy Spirit. So I think that, like, the inner spirit maybe was interceding at that point because I didn't really know what to do or say, maybe. Well, you know, sometimes I think a person might cry out to God, and the Bible says that the Spirit intercedes on our behalf because He knows even better than we do uh, what we are longing for, what the heart's desire is, and He can present our request to God but there are many examples in the Bible when a person prayed and asked for something, they prayed with their understanding. Even Jesus in the garden, when he prayed, he said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, thy will be done. So, um, you know, God knows and understands your heart. And I think in that moment, you're, you know, you were overwhelmed praying and saying, Lord, I don't even know what to say. But when we pray, we want to pray with understanding because not only then is it a blessing to us because we know what we are saying, but it's a blessing as well to those who might be around us. 
we can be a witness that way. Okay. So we need. So I basically just need to pray for the understanding of of speaking in tongues. Well, when you pray, you know, speak. Uh, prayer is being defined as opening your heart to God as you would to a friend. If you have a very best friend that you are talking to and you're troubled about something and you're sharing that with your friend, uh, you might not be the most eloquent in uh, your description because, you know, your heart's heavy, but you will try and communicate in a way that they could understand. Yeah. And when we pray, we want to communicate to God uh, our heart. We might not always use the right words. It might not always come out uh, with beautiful language, but God knows our heart. Sometimes all we can do is just... Uh, you know, be in his presence and say, Lord, here I am. You know my heart. You know what I need. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. All right. Thanks for calling. We have a... We do have a book. It's called Understanding Tongues, and it deals with this passage in First Corinthians. And we'll be happy to send it out to anyone who would call and ask. And uh, Colleen, I would encourage you to call and ask for that. The number is 800-835-6747. And ask for the book. We'll send it to you for free. It's called Understanding Tongues. It's talking about the gift of the Spirit here when it's talking about tongues, and I think you'll be blessed by that. Amen. Who do we have next? Next we have Lefette from Milford, Pennsylvania. Good evening, Lefette. Hi, good evening. Thank you so much for taking my call. Yes, thanks for calling. I'm calling about Hebrews chapter 6, 4 through 6. Okay. Let me go ahead and read the verse just so that there might be people driving and and, uh, they can hear the verse. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 4 says, 4... It is impossible for those who were once enlightened to have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. And your question on that? Well, so I need a little bit more understanding because I was under the impression that when people do backslide, Mm -hmm they have an opportunity to come back to the Lord. Yes. So what, what is this scripture, who is this scripture speaking to exactly? Um, because it sounds like they have lost an opportunity. Am I missing, I, I must be misinterpreting that in some way or? No, I mean, the, I think the key there is verse six, where it says, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance. Uh, the way it's translated in the English, fall away, it gives the impression of almost a one-time sin. So you're a believer, but then you fall away maybe for a, a few days or so, uh, and then you can't come back to God. No, that's not what the original meaning there is. The falling away is a deliberate rejection, turning away, walking away, and rejecting the Holy Spirit. You see, the Bible tells us that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Yes. Jesus said, every sin will be forgiven, man, except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit or rejection of the Holy Spirit. So if somebody over and over again rejects the Spirit speaking to his heart, he hardens his heart like Pharaoh did to the point where he can't come to repentance or he doesn't want to come to repentance. He has no interest in coming to repentance. His heart is hardened. Okay. Uh, that's the unpardonable sin, or that's the sin that can't be forgiven. So that's what's been addressed in this passage. It's not talking about a Christian that might stumble and fall. The Bible says, if we sin, we are to confess our sins. God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we have so many examples in the Bible of people who did uh, fall away, but they came to repentance and God forgave them. One of the great examples that we have in the New Testament is the story of Peter, 
who was a believer, but then he denied Christ and said, I do not know him. But then he went and wept bitterly and he was forgiven. So um, clearly there are examples of people that have turned back to God. And, you know, I think all of us would be in trouble exactly. if God just said, you know, you have one chance. And if you don't get it right, that's the end of it. Um, God is merciful. He wants to save. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Perfect. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. All right. Thanks for your call. Good question. All right. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Bible Answers Live. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. Call us at 1-800-GOD-SAYS. Next, we have Brian from Grand Junction, Colorado. Brian, you're on the air. Hey, guys. First-time caller. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for calling. All right. So ran across some uh, cool stuff in Psalm 82.6. Yes. Uh, I believe it's referring to the uh, leaders of Israel being called as God. Yes. And we see this. Jesus referring to that in John 10 when they're trying to get him at the synagogue, you know, referring back to your law says that your God, you know, why is it blasphemy for me to, to be the son of God? So I'm just curious what you guys kind of think of just, you know. What's the verses? Uh, Psalm 82, six, and then I think it's John ten eleven where yep. Jesus is referring to that. And then it goes all the way back to Exodus with Moses and Aaron as well. But just kind of curious what you guys think of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, let me share a few thoughts on that. You know, first of all, this verse has confused some people. And there are some that misinterpret this to give the idea that we're all in some way gods. Um, but that's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, when you refer to verse 6, and he said, You are gods, and all of your children of the Most High, uh, you shall be, you shall die like them and, and fall one of the princes. It's talking specifically here to the leaders in Israel who stood in the place of God to the people. They were the priests. They would teach the law. They would present the gospel. Uh, and they were corrupt in the work that they were doing. And the warning came, You shall fall like all men. So even though they, for example, Moses and Aaron, they were representatives of God to the people. They were not God. They were not gods, but they represented God. It was a very sobering work and an important responsibility that a priest would bear or a prophet would bear or a leader, an elder in Israel would bear. And if you want to put that in our modern terms, that would be a pastor or a, a Bible teacher, someone in a position of authority to teach and preach the word of God, it is a very sobering and important work. Uh, and Jesus refers to this where he says, he actually quotes this in Psalms 82 verse 6. He's talking to the religious leaders who claimed that they did have some s extra grace and were more spiritual than anyone else because they were part of the Pharisees or the priesthood. And Jesus is saying, you will die like others. Just because you're in that position, it doesn't give you freedom to to continue in sin and misrepresent God's character to the people. Yeah. Also, I would add that the word for judge for God's here is the word Elohim, and in other parts of Scripture, it appears as the word judge. Mm -hmm. 
So they were in a place of judgment. Yep. And of course, the word gods there is the small G. It's not a capital G. So Right. I did catch that. Yep. Even the Bible translators realize it's not talking about uh, the God of heaven. Yeah, right. Just never see that stuff anywhere like that. Just like, huh. I bet you people butcher that up. So <laughs> Yeah. No, that's a good point that you, you brought out, and that, that verse has confused people. But if you study it a little further, look at it in context, it's it's referring to the leaders or the judges that are in Israel. Right. All right. Well, thanks for your call, Brian. Good question. Next, we have Tammy from Periori, Illinois. Good evening, Tammy. Good evening, pastors. Hi, Tammy. Thanks for calling. Thank you. This is my first time calling. Welcome. Um, I know that... When we die, our bodies are a shell, and our souls go to heaven or hell. I do believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And I want to be cremated, and what I would like to know is, if I'm cremated, can I put my ashes in more than one grave or in more than one place? Will my soul still go to heaven? Okay. Well, hey, I got good, I got good news for you. First of all, the good news is that when Jesus comes again and he resurrects the righteous, he doesn't use any of this current existing material. So we get brand new bodies at the second coming of Christ. Um, the Bible speaks about mortal putting on immortality, meaning that these mortal bodies uh, are like the body that Jesus had when he rose from the dead. And he had an immortal body. It was a real body, but it was a immortal body and of course he traveled up to heaven and the redeemed are going to travel to heaven and travel through space we don't need a, to have a space suit or something like that Absolutely. so we get brand new bodies it doesn't matter whether these bodies are buried and turned to ashes or sprinkled in the ocean uh, god doesn't need any of the leftovers to make us new he's got a perfect dna print of who we are of our personality of our character he knows who we are and he's going to resurrect us now when a person dies their next conscious thought is the resurrection so when a person dies they don't immediately see themselves floating through the air uh, if they're a bad person they don't immediately go to judgment and the fires of hell uh, they're simply asleep in the grave until the resurrection so for the righteous you are resurrected the moment jesus comes i might die today and my very next conscious thought will be, I am resurrected, I'm being caught up in the air, and Jesus is coming. I might not be aware that, uh, you know, a hundred years has passed. To me, it's just a moment, a twinkling of the eye. So nobody's burning in hell. That's good to know. Yeah, nobody's burning in hell now. The Bible speaks about hell and destruction of the wicked happening at the end of the thousand years. And uh, that's yet in the future. So we don't have to worry about what's going to happen to our soul when we die. God will resurrect us, and we will have brand new bodies when he comes again. Our very next conscious thought after we die is the second coming of Christ, and we are caught up to meet him in the air. Okay. That's good information. Thank you, pastors, for taking my call, and have a blessed night. You're welcome. Thanks for calling, Tammy. You know, we do have a, a study guide that talks about what happens when a person dies, and it's called, Are the Dead Really Dead? And, you know, you don't think of the subject of death as being a very hopeful subject. But when you look at what the Bible says about death, especially for the believer, it is a very hopeful subject. Jesus likened death to a sleep. We'll be happy to send that to anyone who calls and asks. The number is 800-835-6747. You can ask for the study guide, Are the Dead Really Dead? Who do we have next? Next we have 
Cindy from Cala Mesa, California. Good evening, Cindy. You are on the air. Hi, thank you for taking my call tonight. Thanks for calling, Cindy. So I have a question about Matthew uh, 16, 18, and 19. Um, and, and it says, I will tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So I've been studying this verse, and I find that in in some of the translations, it it talks in the future tense. Tense. So whatever you whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, and then in some of the translations, it talks in the past tense, and it says whatever you loose on earth will have already been loosed in heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will already have been bound in heaven. And so my question has two parts. One, does the tense make a difference, uh, past or, f- or future, and and then kind of a explanation of the whole thing? <laughs> okay, great question. All right, let me quickly, starting in verse 18, Jesus is speaking to Peter, and he says, Upon this rock I'll build my church. Now, Jesus specifically says, you are Peter. The word there, Peter, means a pebble or a stone. There's a word play. Jesus is using a word play. The word Peter, Petros, uh, is, means a, a stone or a pebble. Then Jesus says, you are a stone or a pebble, but on this rock I will build my church. The church is not built on Peter. The church is built upon Christ. Jesus is the rock. Jesus said, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them is like the wise man who builds upon the rock. Christ is the foundation of the church. Then he says the gates of hell won't prevail against it. The it in the verse is the church. So if Christ is the foundation of the church and we're obedient to him, the devil can come up against the church, but he won't be able to overcome the church because it's founded upon Jesus. But then in verse 19, Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What did Jesus give Peter and the disciples that would open or close heaven to other people? Well, Jesus gave them the gospel. And Jesus said, go, take the gospel, preach the gospel. Those who receive the gospel, they will be saved. Those who reject the gospel, they will be lost. So the key that's been referred to here is the gospel that Jesus gave the disciples to preach to the world. It's not an arbitrary decision. Peter doesn't say, oh, I think you can be saved and you can be lost. I'm going to let you in heaven. I'm going to let you out. Peter's not guarding the gate of heaven. But what did the disciples have? And Peter represents the disciples. What did Jesus give the disciples? He gave them his teaching. He gave them the gospel. And that's why the great commission that you find in Matthew 28 is to take the gospel to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, to preach the gospel. Those who receive the gospel... They're saved. Those who reject the gospel, they lost. So that's really what Jesus is saying here. And Peter represents the apostles. And in, in a very real sense, we also have those keys because we get to preach the gospel too. And uh, people can either close heaven if they reject the gospel or they can open heaven if they receive the gospel. So is that what it means by whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven? Yes. In other words, if you preach the gospel and somebody receives the gospel, that will be noted in heaven. If you preach the gospel and somebody rejects the gospel, that also is noted in heaven. So how a person responds to the gospel 
will determine what record is given of them in heaven. And that's what it means where it says, it shall be noted in heaven. And then the, the versions that say, has already been, that doesn't make a difference. It just means God knows the beginning from the end. Yes. It doesn't matter whether it's the past tense or the present tense there. It's just stating the fact that throughout the Christian era, when the gospel is preached, those who receive it, they save. Those who reject it are lost. Well, that's such a good question, Cindy. Thank you so much. But you hear the music in the background. Friends, we are running out of time. If we didn't get to your question tonight, we encourage you to call us back next week when we do more Bible questions. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay, California. Do you feel as though your world is spiraling out of control? Or perhaps new life challenges are frightening you more than they should? Are you sinking while you're thinking? Excessive worry can consume you, eating you from the inside out, resulting in sickness, insomnia, and paralyzing fear. It can also damage relationships, ruin opportunities, and yes, diminish your witness for the gospel. Worry affects everybody differently, but it's all driven by fear. So how can you overcome a world full of reasons to be anxious? I'd like to recommend for you my new book, Finding Peace in a World of Worry. You'll discover a lifeline to victory, a place where you can cast your cares upon Christ and experience a serenity that isn't subject to your circumstances. Get your copy of Pastor Doug's Finding Peace in a World of Worry today. Call 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com. Deep within the pages of the Bible, stories of great heroes, heroes of great deeds, great love, and great sacrifice. But behind them is another hero, hidden in plain sight amid the shadows. He was there from the beginning, and he'll be there until the end. Discover the golden thread of a savior woven throughout the entire Bible tapestry. Shadows of Light, seeing Jesus in all the Bible. Get your copy today by calling 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com. If you'd like to enhance your study of God's Word, visit our website at www.amazingfacts.org and sign up for our free Bible study course. And make sure to check out our online bookstore at afbookstore.com, which offers thousands of inspiring books, DVDs, and more to help you get the most out of God's Word. To take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast, call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org. Did you enjoy this program? Make sure to tell your family and friends. Tune in next time for more Bible Answers Live. Honest and accurate answers to your Bible questions.